You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome to the August 6th edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. I am Diamond Dante, joined here uh, with Michael Nellis for the August 6th edition of Around the Diamond and the 25th edition of Around the Diamond. This show first aired on March 19th, and now the 25th edition is airing this Saturday. That is today, and if you're listening on Sunday, the show had originally aired on Saturday. And, of course, if you're listening on the SoundCloud, we uh, we welcome you to Around the Diamond. Michael, thanks uh, thanks for coming on the show. And, of course, um, an excellent show lined up for you uh, in this one as uh, we're going to start things off recapping the week that was, the trade deadline week in the major leagues, and then we're going to talk to Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca as he's going to touch on some of the trades that the Jays made. After that, we're going to invite uh, Mr. CJ Stanton, new manager of the Trobavir Aglas, to the show. Carl Jelenas, who took his job as the pitching coach with the Quebec Capitals, will come on. Funny and, how that works. Exactly. Eh? <laughs> and then uh, we'll finish things off with a little Can-Am League talk. So, uh, Michael, welcome to the show and welcome – actually, welcome back. Um, and I want to I wanna touch off – I want to start – the show off with uh, a big trade out of the Cleveland Indians as uh, they went on and acquired Andrew Miller for their number one prospect in Clint Frazier and three more other prospects. A lot to give up for a guy in Miller who's 31 years old, the best reliever in the game, you know, quote unquote. But I mean, a lot to give up, but you got to give credit to the Yankees who pretty much restacked their whole farm system with the couple of trades that they made. Yeah, I think the Yankees are uh, they've they've put themselves in a a good position for a rebuild, and uh, th- that's a very funny thing to say. Yankees and rebuild in the same sentence, and I'm sure everybody's kind of been talking about that as as something that they've never seen in their lifetimes. You know, I've seen somebody who you know, there are people you know that are in their you know late 20s, early 30s uh, that are saying that they've never heard the New York Yankees use the word rebuild in a press release before, and they did it after the trade deadline this year. This is time for a rebuild. And I guess, uh, you know, looking at things, it, it, it really just goes to show you that uh, when offloading talent like uh, Chapman, uh, you know, this right. is a team that that is able to uh, garner a lot for their uh, for their prospects and or, or for their assets, I should say, not prospects, but to to gain some prospects. Uh, the big thing that I'm going to be looking at is what is the future of Joe Girardi now uh, as the manager uh, of the Yankees? I'm thinking he's probably still going to be around given that he's there while the rebuild begins. Usually that's the case. If you if you want a, a new manager for a rebuild, you're going to hang on to him for that beginning through to the end. So I wouldn't expect him to have his job in jeopardy. Uh, but Brian Cashman's done a very good job yeah. uh, as the as the manager uh, or as the general manager starting to um, kickstart this rebuild. It's something that we've never seen a New York Yankees uh, front office have to do before. So you, you never really know how this is going to go. But he's got the resources to do it and to do it right. And so far, you know, given the moves that they've made, very strong moves. And uh, you really have to tip your cap to Cashman and the front office and the Yankees. And you're right about that, Michael. They went out and, and traded Carlos Beltran to the Rangers. They traded yeah. Chapman to the Cubs for the number one shortstop prospect. They traded Miller to the Indians for the number one outfield prospect. So they pretty much restocked their minor league system. I had read an article uh, through Bleacher Report that had came out and said that the Yankees are going back to the old days when they had the Bernie Williams and the Jeters and, and developing positional prospects. And all they had to do was trade three key guys, three key guys that were having excellent years Two that are superstars, and one in Beltran, who's 39 years old, and will most likely retire maybe next year or in the next two years, and they get the number four overall pick in 2015 from yeah. the Rangers. It's really impressive, and uh, the Texas Rangers also a winner mm-hmm. in that deal just by getting Carlos Beltran. Yeah, sure, he's past his prime, but he's been effective this season. Uh, the slash line that he's got this year so far: 304, 344, 546. That's good. And he's got 22 home runs. This is a guy at 39 years old that is still contributing uh, at a very high rate for the Texas Rangers or for the New York Yankees. And now he's going to do that in a Ranger uniform as well. So, yeah, the Texas Rangers are looking really dangerous, too. And, you know, when you look at both sides of that deal for the Yankees and the Rangers, both of them come out as winners. That's just a good baseball trade. And for the Yankees, 
you know, you mentioned it yourself. It was just three deals and boom, right there. They are now into a completely different mindset as a group, as a staff. So we'll see if that uh, or how far that definitely goes or how that or how far that goes um, into the future. Uh, you know, is it going to be a five year rebuild? Is it going to be a two year rebuild? I would probably hinge on the two to three years because we know what the Yankees have in terms of payroll. So um, when they know that their time is is now, uh, they will go out, get the guns and and start firing again. And you know what? Honestly, this is an unpopular opinion, but I, I, I really do like to see a team like the Yankees. Yeah do well yeah you know what I mean and seeing them out of the playoffs seeing them at the bottom of the standings it's uncharacteristic and because they're the Yankees because they're America's team or or whatever you want to call it uh, you know they're a team with a lot of fans everywhere it's not good for baseball to see them at the bottom of the standings so when they get back up into the picture that's something I'm going to like to see well they just lost the series to the Mets and now the Mets are are the team (laughs) in New York at this point the last time the Yankees were really a uh you know, a bottom tier team in the league was when Hal Lanier was was on the the Yankees in 1972, and that was the last time I looked at the standings, and they weren't too good. Since then, you know, they had the the likes of Jacksons and the Jeters and the Bernie Williams and the Roger Clemens, and were at the top. The Rangers go out and get Jonathan Lucroy, and this is a huge treat because Lucroy is not only an excellent offensive catcher but an excellent defensive catcher. This is probably the best catcher that the Rangers have had since Pudge Rodriguez. The only reason I say this, you can't put Benji. They went to the World Series two years in a row. They had Mike Napoli and Benji Molina as their catchers. I don't put them up there as their as a top tier catchers in terms of defense. And Luke Roy definitely brings that to the table. Yeah, he does. And the Rangers as a team uh, have have just really impressed at the deadline. Um, you know, you can say what you want about them and, and, and a couple of their players, you know, maybe in the middle yeah. of the infield. Uh, <laughs> oh, Dewar? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I wasn't going to name names, but okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, y- you know, y- you can have all, kind of, uh, or all kinds of opinions, but uh, the fact of the matter is they're a dangerous team right now. They're uh, arguably the best team in the AL, and uh, they've, they've added to a point where they can uh, – say now that they've got a well-rounded offense and you know Lucroy's a good offensive catcher as you mentioned yourself that's not an easy thing to come by and in baseball every catcher is locked up every team has their group of catchers that they want to hang on to and especially when they have that offensive prowess you know being able to have that in your lineup being able to have a catcher that can hit well is really really important and we see it so many times that Defense kind of takes precedent over offense in terms of catchers. So when you can have a guy and you can have a um, an asset that does both of those things, it's really valuable. We've seen it many times uh, through the years, especially in, and even you know moving away from the MLB for a second to the Ottawa Champions, where you know uh, God love Danny Grower, but he is hitting below 200. And he's a very good catcher. He's a very good defensive catcher. Um, but his offensive game isn't necessarily there. So yeah. it's uh, it, it's a hard thing to come by. And even you know, even with that there, even with Grower hitting last time I checked, uh, his average was, I believe, 176. Um, even though he's hitting below 200, you don't hear talk about the champions releasing Grower because he's so good defensively. It's even better when you have that combination. When you have the offense and defense, it's something that in baseball you need. So Lucroy going to the Rangers is the, I, I think that's the power move that really tells you that the Rangers are a legit team. They are going to be uh, attempting a win at the World Series. And it is kind of poetic justice for them to eventually win a World Series in the next couple of years, given how close they came last time around in 2012 against the Cards. An amazing stat, uh, Dante. There's three times in MLB history where a team has been a strike away from a World Series and end up blowing it, end up losing the World Series. Three times, all they needed was a strike, and they blew it. Twice was in the same game between the Cardinals and the Rangers. David Fries was... At the hands of both of them, I Yeah, think. he was. And he kept his team alive in both of those situations. Won the game. Cards win Game 7. Um, game 6 of the 2012 World Series. Probably the best game... Of uh, history. In history. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I think you're right about that. And and before we uh, we wrap up this segment, I want to 
dive into the Dodgers situation. They go out and acquire a, a fairly good defensive outfielder in Josh Reddick, a guy who's hitting 296 this year. Home runs are not there as, as they were in the past, but still a productive player at the age of 29, free agent at the end of the season. They go out and get uh, Rich Hill, who has a 225 ERA. He's 9-3. 36 years old. This is his first, you know, good season, really coming out of nowhere. And they ended up sending down Yasiel Puig, who stormed out of the clubhouse, upset. <laughs> and, I mean, it goes to show, I mean, the maturity of Yasiel Puig and, you know, where the Dodgers at in, in terms of Yasiel Puig at this point. Do they trade him or do they say he's in the minors now? And how is he going to cope with that? Because I think if you're Puig, you go down to the minor leagues and you say, you know what, I'm going to work hard. I'm still 25 years old and I'm going to get back for for where I was at the beginning. Yeah, you're really uh, you're really parked between a rock and a hard place if you're the Dodgers and uh, Alex Anthopoulos, actually. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, you, you really don't know what to do in this situation if you're the Dodgers because uh, you've got this asset who is good. He, he's a good player, let's be honest here. Puig is not a guy that is going to be in the minors for the rest of his career. He is going to eventually break back out, and he is going to find his footing again. That is something that will happen. The question, though, is how long is, is Puig going to be in AAA Oklahoma City? You know, I don't necessarily think it's something that the Dodgers can continue if they want to deal him. You know, uh, either either you're going to have one of these two possibilities. Okay, the first of two is they call him back up, try to um, try to get his stock up again because let's face it, Puig is still a good player. He will still hit well like he was this season. And uh, then deal him while his uh, while his stock is high, or you could trade him now and get less. Yeah, you're because, gonna get less. Yeah, so it's a question for the Dodgers of do you want to hang on to this guy and then get rid of him for more, or do you want him to hang around in your minor league system and then you're not going to get as much for the guy because even though he is. Um, even though he is a, a, a good hitter, he's, he's a good fielder, or he's, he's a good player all around, basically. Yeah. Um, when you've got a guy in AAA, for whatever situation, his value is going to go down. You're not going to get as much as you could. So I think if you're the Dodgers, and, and, and you know this is why I say we're going to see Puig in the major leagues again, because if you're the Dodgers and you want to trade him, it's got to be a major league player. It's, it can't be a triple-A player. It can't, it's got to be the major league Puig, right? So um, you're going to see him up there again. And whether it's in a Dodgers uniform or another team's uniform, you know, maybe they go against, um, against what I'm saying right now and just trade him outright. But, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see him again. He's an excellent prospect, and you're right about that. Uh, and that's going to end this segment. Uh, it was a, a great talk. But coming up next, we'll be joined with Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca. That's where... We're going to give you all the analysis on the Jays and uh, the moves that they made over the deadline. That's coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107. Hey, this is Tyler Wilson from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. Before we're we were recapping the biggest deadline moves of the past week. Now I am happy to be joined with Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca and his very famous At The Letters Blue Jays podcast that he hosts with Ben Nicholson-Smith here on Sportsnet, the Fan 590. Arden, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. appreciate it. And it's always nice to have you on. And, and obviously, I want to start off this segment with, uh, you know, doing a little recap of the trades that happened in the past week with the Toronto Blue Jays. And, you know, they went out and acquired Scott Feldman, Francisco Liriano, and also uh, ended up getting Mike Bolsinger from the Dodgers uh, for Jesse Chavez. The biggest name out of those three pitchers would definitely be Francisco Liriano as they give up Drew Hutchinson in the deal and go out and get a veteran starter uh, who, in Liriano, is trying to turn his season around the Pirates get Hutchinson, who has potential, but hasn't been able to put put it at the major league level yet. Yeah, exactly. I think if you're the Blue Jays, you know, you're definitely hoping to get the Francisco Liriano of the last three years rather than the last four months. He's really had trouble throwing strikes this year, and you know, it's really always been Liriano's thing. He's always been a guy who kind of worked around the outside of the zone and and tried to get guys to chase. And he's had a lot of success doing that in his career. I think the issue this year is. A lot of hitters have kind of adjusted to that and, and have been laying off some of those balls. And then when Liriano's had to come back into the zone, generally it's an elevated pitch to hit out of the ballpark. And 
that's why the home run rates are so high. So, yeah, if you're the Blue Jays, you're, you're hoping that, you know, you, you've seen something on video or you, you can just kind of unlock something to help Liriano get back to the, uh, the level he was pitching at in recent years uh, because the Blue Jays are going to need him down the stretch with Aaron Sanchez out of the rotation. And, of course, uh, you mentioned Sanchez coming out of rotation. We'll get to that uh, in just in a minute. I mean, what was the main goal that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins had in, in getting uh, Liriano? Of course, you mentioned that they wanted the last three the the last three years that he had pitched in Pittsburgh. But of course, was it kind of saying that you know Russell Martin had some experience with Liriano, and did that kind kind of come into play of things? I mean, I don't love the Russell Martin has experience with Liriano argument because you know Francisco Cervelli, who catches in Pittsburgh, is a really good catcher as well. And yeah. he caught Liriano when he was at his best and also when he's been at his worst. So it's not like, you know, Francisco Cervelli all of a sudden said, hey, you know, what you need to do, Liriano, is you need to really leave sliders up in the zone so they can get <laughs> hit out of the ballpark. But it's probably not the advice that he was giving. So, you know, I wonder how much of an effect Russell Martin can have on him. But, you know, the Blue Jays are certainly banking on a new voice helping. Maybe, you know, he can do something with, with his sequencing or, or pitch selection and usage that, that can, you know, unlock something. But at the end of the day, Francisco Liriano is going to have to execute. and He's going to have to throw strikes that aren't elevated and, and aren't hittable, and that's what's going to help him have success. And, of course, Liriano has a little bit of cash left on his deal. So was it the Jays kind of giving Drew Hutchison in the deal to kind of say to Pittsburgh, all right, we'll, we'll take a chunk of his salary. you got to give us two other prospects, and you also get a guy in Hutchison who, who does have potential as well. Well, yeah, I think that's why you saw Pittsburgh have to throw in the prospects is because the Blue Jays are paying all the freight on Francisco Liriano's deal, which, you know, isn't insignificant. It's $13 million next year, and Pittsburgh Pirates are, you know, a team that, Maybe you know exist in the smallest market, but operate like a small market team when it comes to their budget, and you know generally try to develop their own players, and they aren't going to you know sign a lot of big free agent deals. So a thirteen million dollar pact is quite a bit for a team like the Pirates. So absolutely, that's why you saw the uh, you know the the two prospects coming over in the deal is you know the Blue Jays said, hey, if we're going to pay this money, we're going to we're going to need to sweeten it a bit. So it works out for both teams, and that's Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca and the At The Letters podcast joining us here on Around the Diamond. And like I mentioned earlier, the Jays went out and acquired Scott Feldman and Mike Bolsanger, two guys that can make some spot starts here and there, but are most likely will be in the bullpen. Uh, but as far as you're concerned, Arden, uh, where did they fit in the Blue Jays pitching staff at this point? Well, I think that Scott Feldman is here essentially to be what Jesse Chavez was supposed to be, which is you know a swingman reliever somebody who's reliable and can give you an inning in the sixth or the seventh and get you three outs, but also could step into the starting rotation in a pinch if need be. And that's what Scott Feldman's been throughout his career. And also what Jesse Chavez was throughout his career. You know, it just didn't work out for Jesse Chavez in Toronto for whatever reason. You know, you'd see him come into a game and he'd surrender a three-run shot to Adam Jones like he did the other day and then come back and, and retire the next two hitters with, you know, really nice cutters and some really sharp breaking stuff. So, it, you know, I think there's definitely still there something there for him, but the Blue Jays simply had to move on. and simply had to get a more reliable option there, and that's why you have Scott Feldman and Mike Bolsinger kind of helps the Blue Jays just backfill the loss of Drew Hutchison and gives them a bit of depth in, in their starting rotation. It's a guy who, you know, could uh, log some innings for them down the stretch if the Blue Jays had an injury in their rotation or needed a spot start. But I don't think Mike Bolsinger is going to be a really uh, substantial part of this Blue Jays playoff push, to be quite honest with you. And, of course, that's Arden Zwelling joining us here on Around the Diamond from Sportsnet.ca and the Fan 590. Of course, uh, biggest, the biggest craze over this past week and the last couple of weeks has been uh, the movement of Aaron Sanchez going to the bullpen. You know, the question of, is he going to go to the bullpen? Is he going to stay in the rotation? Of course, as you mentioned earlier, he will be moving to the bullpen with the acquisition of Liriano. But but it seems at this point that you know the team thought that they had the best chance to win. Along you know if we saw the interview with Russell Martin with Aaron Sanchez in the bullpen and they were you know kind of standing behind him. But it seemed like also on the other side, I think management was kind of saying, all right, we don't want to mess up you know the potential of Sanchez and save his arm a little bit. Yeah, I mean Blue Jays management's just trying to balance short term and long term here when it comes to Aaron Sanchez. Short term, obviously, you want to win a World Series and you want to go to the postseason, and that means keeping the ALERA leader uh, in your rotation is, is a pretty, you know, pretty good way to do that. Same time, Aaron Sanchez is a very valuable commodity to the Blue Jays. Probably, you know, their number one commodity in terms of in terms of an arm, you know, right after Josh Donaldson, probably, you know, in terms of the overall rankings. So you have to manage him carefully. And if the Blue Jays feel 
that they are overextending Aaron Sanchez and they are increasing his risk for injury later in his career, his effectiveness later in his career. If he's just going to be hurt by pitching more this year, obviously the Blue Jays are going to pull the plug on him. So, you know, it's it's important to remember the Blue Jays are, have been monitoring this situation since spring training. They've wanted to be cautious since spring training. You know, I'm sure that they've taken images of, of his arm with, you know, MRIs and x-rays and things like this. I'm sure they've been measuring his his body composition and, and other sports science factors. Mm-hmm. And this is the decision they've arrived at. And nobody has more information with which to make this decision than the Toronto Blue Jays. And of course you're, 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 you're right about that. But uh, I mean, the first thought that came into the mind to my mind when I, when I heard about this was going back to Steven Strasburg and, and Matt Hardy. Is it, is it almost the same situation that the, the nationals had with Steven Strasburg or they're on a playoff push. They're going to make the playoff. They're, they're winning the NL East and then they have to shut Strasburg down, who is, uh, you know, lights out. Is this the same situation that we can see here with Sanchez? Well, I mean, to me, every situation is unique, and every arm is different. You know, every pitcher has been through different things throughout, you know, their rise through high school even, and through the minor leagues, and, you know, during the time of the majors. And everybody's body is composed differently, and, you know, they recover differently from stress, and they have, you know, more fast-twitch muscle fibers or less slow-twitch muscle fibers. So... It's kind of hard to to compare the two. I mean, and and really the Blue Jays aren't shutting down Aaron Sanchez. They're just moving him to the bullpen, which is going to make their bullpen significantly better. And from a PR standpoint for them, that's the way they need to be selling this thing over and over again is how much better their bullpen is going to be and how they have a reliable eighth inning arm and they can bump Jason Greeley and Yaukeen Benoit back to the seventh inning and kind of set things up nicely. Uh, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Really, we're, we're not going to know. You know, if the Blue Jays win the World Series, nobody's going to care that Aaron Sanchez has taken out the rotation. The Blue Jays <laughs> won the World Series. If the Blue Jays miss the playoffs by a game, uh, there might be something to be said there about taking one of the best pitchers in the American League East out of your rotation and how that affected your ability to make the postseason. So we're really not going to know how this move is going to be viewed uh, until the season's over, and maybe not even into next year when we see how effective Aaron Sanchez is and how his arm's holding up. If he goes out in his second start next in 2017 and uh, you know blows his arm out, people are going to say, well, why did you even take him out of the rotation? Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to matter anyway. So we really need to know what happens in the future before we can really judge how this move is uh, going to be viewed. And, of course, uh, I mean, I, I I hadn't really thought about this, Arden, but uh, you know, a couple people had kind of came up to me and you know some other Jays fans around and kind of said, you know, Aaron Sanchez, a number one Cy Young candidate. I hadn't really thought about it until I kind of looked into it. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, is, he has a good ERA at 2.71, the best in the American League, as you mentioned earlier. But I mean, as far as you're concerned, at this point before this, the Blue Jays going into moving him to the bullpen, was he a number one Cy Young candidate? Yes, he was absolutely in that race, you know, probably in, in the top three in the American League. Uh, you know, you'd have to probably put Chris Sale up there as well. I mean, there's a few names. It would have been an interesting race. But, you know, Aaron Sanchez isn't going to win the Cy Young when he comes out of the rotation. Certainly, you know, you need those innings pitched. And generally, you need to be a starter. You Very, very rarely do you see relievers win the, uh, the Cy Young Award. So it's too bad for him. But, you know, I think the Blue Jays would argue that they're doing what's best for Aaron Sanchez in, in the long run. And of course, before we go, uh, we we you know I had seen some reports that the Jays were were very close in acquiring uh, Rich Hill. I mean, was the price a little bit too high uh, from what you had heard, or or was it just the the Jays not wanting to pull the trigger on a guy who was thirty six years old? From what I heard, the uh, the Blue Jays were very aggressive in trying to find a starting pitcher. Uh, yeah, they, they called on everybody. I think they kind of had a final list of about twenty guys that they you know they felt these are our top targets and these are our top guys that we can get. And, Rich Hill was on that list. You know, uh, Irvin Santana was on that list. Uh, obviously, uh, Francisco Liriano was on that list. I mean, I think that a lot of teams probably kind of looked at the Blue Jays' prospects, looked at their system, and said, look, you know, you just don't have what it takes to get it done. We can go out and get better prospects from other organizations. And that's kind of a reality you're left with when you trade as many prospects at the trade deadline as the Blue Jays did last year. It's an absolutely defensible move and something that I would do 100 times out of 100. Uh, because the Blue Jays made it to the postseason and came within two games of the World Series. But, you know, I think at this trade deadline, the Blue Jays ran into some roadblocks in terms of the prospect capital they had to deal from, and that kind of priced them out of some conversations, Rich Hill being among them. And you're right about that, of course, the likes of Aaron Sanchez moving to the bullpen, but that's going to wrap up this segment. Arden, thank you so much for coming on Around the Diamond, 
And uh, we look forward to to maybe see these moves pay off in the in the Blue Jays' favor, uh, along with Justin Upson in, in the in the next coming weeks. Appreciate it, Dante. Thank you. That was Sportsnet's Arden Zwelling joining us here on Around the Diamond. You can listen to his At the Letters Blue Jays podcast on Sportsnet, the Fan 590, or just find him on Twitter, at Arden Zwelling, as he tweets all about the Toronto Blue Jays. Coming up next, we'll be joined with TJ Stanton of the Trois Revere Aglas, as he has been just named their new manager. We'll see what he has to say about that. Coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107. Hi, this is Billy Horn from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, home to every Ottawa Champions game and sponsored by Sambat, the original Mapleback Corporation since 1997. Still joined with me in studio is Michael Nellis, but uh, this is why we're going to get to the phone lines and bring on former Atlanta Braves draft pick, independent baseball veteran, and new manager of the Trois Rivier Aglas, TJ Stanton. TJ, uh, welcome to the show and congratulations on the new job. Oh, I, I appreciate it and thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And we thank you so much for coming on. And just to start things off, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season with the Capitals, you started off as their pitching coach. Uh, I mean, a, a very good season for, for the staff in general. And then you, you got promoted and ended up being the manager of the Aglas. I mean, how has the transition been moving from a pitching coach midseason to a new team uh, that's at the bottom of the Can-Am League? Um, well, I, with my situation with the, the Caps in Quebec, I was very, very lucky because um, – uh, the last like four or five years, I was I was headed towards the direction of becoming a manager, and, uh, and uh, so I was very lucky that Pascal Labrini and Michelle Plant would uh, include me very much in the day to day and everything that that goes beyond uh, just the field. So uh, it helped prepare me a little bit. You know, I understand the roster throughout and uh, all the rules and everything like that, and. Uh, I know the other managers in the league, so this this helps out quite a bit. Any big uh, surprises that you've uh, that that you've had to deal with uh, since arriving in Trois Rivières as the manager? Uh, obviously, it's a it's a different team, so there's a different setup than you would see in Quebec. So, uh, a- any big challenges so far as a manager? Well, yeah, that's just the main big challenge uh since day one since i came in with the team i told i addressed the team i addressed the media locally and i told them my number one priority right now is to reestablish, uh uh reconstruct a foundation in the in the in the locker room it, it, it had been a very tough 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 season and a very very tough week for for everyone involved you know, with the firing of Pete LaForest, uh, you know, everybody everybody that's met Pete loves Pete, and uh, including myself. I was a, I'm was a former teammate of Pete. We, mm-hmm. we roomed on the road. Uh, so it, it was very difficult news when everybody heard about Pete uh, getting, uh, getting fired. And uh, so I just wanted to address the team and establish that the, the main priority is to gain back trust within the clubhouse everybody needs to trust everybody mm-hmm. and work as a group that sort of thing and that's uh trois aglas manager tj stanton joining us here on around the diamond and you mentioned having connections within the league you know there's a couple managers that you know you've played in the can-am league for a long period of time right now you now you're moved over to being a manager slash uh, of course before you were the pitching coach but you had played for Hal Lanier in Winnipeg in your first ever season in 2004. You had played for Scalabrini. Okay. You, you were in Sussex for a bit. So it must be nice to have so, those connections for, you know, maybe down the road when you need to work out a trade or maybe need to find someone to, to, to fit your team as well. That's it. Um, I've, I've, been, I've been very fortunate to play in some very good markets, very good teams, very good managers. And uh, I've leaned on those relationships quite a bit already. Uh, uh, the first... Uh, I guess my second day on the job, I pulled off a trade with the Jackals. I'm a former Jackal as well with, uh, uh, with uh, Joe mm-hmm. there in uh, New Jersey. Uh, just, uh, yeah, having a, having a relationship, I, I haven't burned any bridges really within independent baseball. So 
it's 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 a uh, it's it's helped out quite a bit. Just leaning on other guys for their opinions on certain things, that sort of thing. TJ, uh, this isn't your first venture as a manager in the Can-Am League. Last year, you uh, managed the Garden State Grays for the second part of the season, the road team in the Can-Am League. And I really wanted to ask you about that because obviously that's a tough situation, managing a road team uh, in the first place, You know, trying to get them over the hump. Um, they had a tough start to the year and started to, uh, to turn it around a little bit when you came in as the manager. What was your experience like on the road managing uh, the road team, the Grays? Yeah, just just in independent baseball in general, if you're trying to add major pieces uh, at all right now, it's very very tough sledding. It's just there's very few very big impact veteran type players available, and so to compound that with the, the Grays, uh, I had a month to go, and I had uh, a very very limited budget. <laughs> Pretty much um, offering guys, uh, you know, $400 a month and uh, a chance to show themselves off and their skills to other independent managers. It was very, diff- it was very difficult to add pieces. Uh, this is a little different situation with uh, avec les eggs, but um, uh, it's still, it's still a challenge to try and uh, add pieces because every every team in the league is trying to add pieces. Uh, How's striving to he has two vet spots open and he's trying to to make a big playoff push uh everybody is uh joe joe in new jersey has you know the first place team but he's lost four pitchers this year <laughs> to, to affiliated baseball so uh it's it's everybody's everybody's out there trying to pick what's left of the the the, the free agent carcass now, when you're managing the Grays, TJ, what is the goal? Like you, you talked about, um, you know, getting players uh, in as kind of like a showcase team almost to the other yeah. uh, independent baseball managers. At the same time, there's roster rules that you have to uh, to keep intact in, in in the Indies. Um, so, is the goal to maybe get your players a shot in a uh, in a housing or, or pardon me in a um, uh, in an independent organization with a home, or is it to win games? Is it to be a competitive team against the uh, the rest of the league? Because obviously you want to have that independent baseball. Um, y- you want to have the competitive nature in every single game, even when the road team's playing too. So it, it's, it, it seems like it's a fine line to walk, isn't it? That's it. That's it. You juggle the two. You, you, you felt the players that uh, if they love doing this, uh, if they if they strive to to try and play for the you know Ottawa or they try to play for Quebec or something in the future, this is the best uh, an a- excellent route to try and do that. And at the same time, just improve the product because um, I found it very difficult to to win games with the Grays, but uh, I was I definitely was able to improve the product where. Uh, instead of blowout losses, they were competitive losses, or we we were we would be leading for the most part, uh, or quite often going into the seventh and eighth and ninth innings, but uh, just uh, finding it tough to close the door. And that's T.J. Stanton, manager of the Trois Rivière Aglas, joining us here on Around the Diamond. And uh, you, since we've kind of dove into this uh, topic of you being the manager of the Garden Street Gays, uh, I mean, I think. Maybe can you share a little bit with the listeners about, I mean, how, how was your time managing that team? Because obviously you mentioned it was kind of tough to go out and get players and stuff like that. But I read, going into the organization itself, I mean, how did you end up making money when you guys are just on the road? How do you guys bring in that profit to end up signing players? And how do you convince players to come and join the team, like you mentioned before? It, it, it was a team... Um, it was a team supplied by the league. So every team in the league would would be technically paying for the for the road team okay and uh the obviously the budget was was uh, very small the idea was just to get uh, as good a team as possible on the field a good a product as you could within those constraints and uh i figured if i took that over and uh gave it my best shot i would never run into a challenge quite as uh steep 
And of course, also you, you talked about a little bit before how you went out and acquired Mike Schwartz from the New Jersey Jackals for future considerations. A small price to pay for a guy with with a good bat and who could definitely help your team. And we saw this over the weekend where you took uh, three or four against the Ottawa Champions. Um, I mean, what was your main thought process when you got the job and said, you know what, I got to make a move and got to get an outfielder? You ended up releasing Reed Carr and bringing in Mike Schwartz. What was your thought process in going out and getting Schwartz from New Jersey? Well, the as soon as I took over the job, I looked over every team's uh, rosters. Uh, who do they have on the inactive? Who do they have on the DL? Uh, what are their LS4, 5, and vet situations? Uh, is there a possibility of an odd man out type situation? New Jersey uh, had a situation where they had uh, rocked their, uh, one of their better outfielders on the DL after you know with a broken hand, but he was about to come off. Uh, and uh, Isaac Pavlik, one of their best pitchers, about to come off the D, uh, about to come off the DL. So I just proposed to Joe. Uh, so are you? Do you have a move in place? Do you, you know, it looks like there might be a man, um, a man on the outside looking in. And um, uh, he he smiled and he agreed. And so I told him that Mike Schwartz is a perfect example of what I'm trying to bring in here. So let's try and make it happen. TJ, uh, looking at the Can-Am League standings right now, we we said it earlier, Trois-Rivières in last place with the 23-44 and 44 record, uh, 19 and a half games back in the standings, and 12 games back of Ottawa for fourth in that last playoff spot. At this point, what is the goal of the remainder of the season? Is it to get to a 500 record? Is it to make the playoffs? What's your goal? My goal is to get players to buy into every single series, finding a way to win the series. Mm-hmm. We go on the road uh, for a four-game set. Let's strive to win the game, win the series. At minimum, break 500. If we can just focus series to series, um, we'll let the chips fall where they may. And you're right about that. And and just a, a quick question to to go back at this. Uh, you know, throughout your career, you played most of your career, of course, uh, in the Can-Am League with uh, the Quebec Capitals, the Jackals, uh, the Sussex, uh, and with Sussex in 2009 um, and then back with Quebec, was it, you know, I mean, I noticed that like, did you kind of, to get this job when you went over to Quebec and, and had played for them, did you learn enough French to, to kind of co- come over to Trois-Rivières? Was that uh, almost uh, something to put on your resume in order to get this job? Oh, I think it definitely helped me. Uh, the, the Sunday um, that the job was offered, I met with the ownership on Monday morning for breakfast in Quebec. Uh, and then noon that day, I was in a helicopter headed to do a press conference, and uh, I did the press <laughs> conference completely in French. Wow. Uh, every single day, uh, I addressed the media completely in French. Uh, I, I'm far from uh, from fluent, but uh, I think that's also very important. To It's a reflection that, uh, you know, Quebec, I live in the province of Quebec. I've moved here. I, I grew up in Florida, but... Uh, I live in Quebec now, and uh, it's a big sign of respect to to everybody in the province of Quebec that uh, that uh, I, I strive to, to 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 learn French. And I was wondering that TJ, because you grew up in Florida, uh, and uh, you know I came over to the Can-Am League, and of course in your first season uh, in Quebec in 2006, was it your main goal to learn the language of French? And and how did that kind of come apart? Because I mean, it's obviously not easy to to come from Florida and come to Canada. And almost to, it seems like a new country in in a new province in Quebec, and learn a different language. I said, yeah, cause I, I had Canadian experience beforehand in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. like you mentioned. But uh, when I came over in '06, I had no idea. I uh, it was just uh, I was just chasing the ball, and that's where the ball led me. And then um, uh, at the end of '07, I met a girl, uh, Quebecois, and who's currently is my still still my girlfriend Mm -hmm. and uh, ever since uh, 2008 uh, we've been very serious and that's when I decided to start trying to learn French and little by little uh, just putting it together and for the last five years I've lived in Quebec uh, full-time and uh, then it's really taken off. 
Did you have any um, any kind of hesitation before going to Quebec, knowing that, and as Dante mentioned in the last question, because, you know, it's a different culture, it's a different language, it's almost like Quebec is a different country altogether. Um, did you ever have any reservations before uh, signing on and agreeing to go with the Capitals? And do you find that other players uh, have those reservations before as well? Because it is kind of daunting going into uh, a new situation with a new language and, uh, you know, uh, especially especially in Trois-Rivières, which is a smaller town, and, and there is less English uh, to be spoken. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, was, I was a special case because in 2004, I played with uh, Pascal Brini and Max Poulin right. uh, with Winnipeg. So I heard so much, uh, so many cool stories about Quebec. And then when I went and played with the Angels, uh, I was there with Michelle Samard and Carl Zelina. The former and current uh, cap greats, and uh, I was good friends with them as well, and uh, heard so much, so many great things about Quebec City uh, and Quebec, uh, the province of Quebec. So uh, you call a guy just released from uh, from the Rangers or something like this, he's from Arkansas. You, you call and you leave a voicemail. Uh, he he goes online, checks out the website. It's in French. It, you might not get a call back from him. Uh, that's why uh, with the caps, I was uh, used a lot during during recruitment process because I was an American who mm. loved the province of Quebec and everything like that. I could tell them from firsthand experience. Uh, it's a great place. Uh, you know all the positives that can that you can have there. And you speak of Carl Jelena, he's actually going to be joining us in our next segment to, to talk about becoming the pitching coach and, and such like that. But, uh, I mean, just to, to wrap things up a little bit, uh, we had talked a little bit about being a manager. I want to ask you a little bit about 2004 when you are with Winnipeg, and then you ended up going and getting signed by the Angels in 2005. And, and I'm very cu- curious to know how you ended up getting the call to the Angels. Was it how linear maybe knowing someone in the Angels system to get you over there, or was it just your performance in a scout seeing you? I think um, it was a. There's a with the Angels. There's a very big influence scout uh, uh, that's uh, out of Florida, and uh, he was impressed with me enough to keep tabs on me. And uh, I'm sure he was in touch with Hal quite a bit, and Hal painted a very p- good picture. And I uh, really appreciate that. And then after the season ended, um, Hal gave me a ring and said that uh, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is you're not going to be back next year. And uh, the good news is you're going to be in camp with uh, the Angels and fighting for a job there. Well, there you go. I mean, we, we've seen it uh, a lot this season with the Ottawa champions as we sent Wilmer Font there. How Lanier had something mm-hmm. to do with that. But uh, once again, we appreciate your time, T- uh, TJ, coming on the show. And we thank you for, uh, for sharing your experience. And we, uh, we wish you best of luck uh, this season and next season as the manager. Okay, thank you very much, boys. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, TJ. That was Trawler Vera Agla's manager, TJ Stanton. We thank him so much for joining us here on Around the Diamond, and uh, best of luck uh, to the rest of the season. Coming up next, we'll be joined with Carl Jelena, pitching coach of the Quebec Capitals. TJ Stanton was the pitching coach just three weeks ago before he was named the manager of the Aglas. So uh, we'll have to see what Jelnas has to say as he has now been named their pitching coach and he's also their ace. That's coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Hey, this is Jared Lemieux from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, home to every single Ottawa Champions game live on the station, ckdj.net, or on the dial. Uh, Before, we were talking with former pitching coach and former teammate of Carl Jelena, TJ Stanton. Now we're actually going to bring Carl Jelena onto the the show, the new pitching coach of the Quebec Capitals and also their current ace of the squad. Carl, welcome to the show. Hi. And uh, it's great to have you here, Carl. And I just want to start things off. Uh, you know, TJ had mentioned in, in the last segment before uh, when, when he was with the Capitals and he had also played with you in the Angels system uh, and as, as your pitching coach this season, uh, he now moved over to the Aglas as their manager. So why don't you tell us about uh, your thoughts on a good friend getting the, a, a top-of-the-line job as the Aglas manager a few weeks back? 
Yeah, uh, I'm very, very happy for for TJ. Uh, we've been uh, we were teammates uh, back in '05 with the Angels, and then um, he got released from the Angels, and then joined the Quebec Capitals in '06. Then uh, I, I joined the Capitals in 2007, and uh, we've been together ever since. Uh, TJ's a great, great, great uh, baseball head. He's uh, probably the best teammate I've been with. And uh, he's, a, he's a great, great leader and uh, will fit an important role there in Three Rivers. And we all knew that his, uh, his goal and his dream was to, to manage a team. And he had the opportunity, uh, the opportunity uh, presented itself uh, with, uh, with uh, the situation there in Three Rivers. And uh, I thought he was the best candidate out there, uh, short and long term. So I'm, I'm very pleased for him. And, and how different was it to have a, a good friend and a good teammate be your pitching coach as well? You guys are, you know, a couple years apart from each other, but both have probably around the same amount of experience. Uh, was it any different having a having to maybe learn a couple things from him, or or was it just kind of getting along together and helping the pitching staff uh, from the both of you? Uh, our relationship was probably different than uh, what it was with the other guys. Um, it was fun to have TJ around because he's known me for so long, so. We we had we had a lot of baseball talks and pitching talks and just he was just there to remind me of, of a few things and see see mechanical things that uh, when I get away from my game he uh, he easily knew you know and easily saw the the little details that that would get me back on track so it was just a matter of just communicating real well and uh, uh, he he uh, he knew me uh, pretty damn well so it was it was kind of a great relationship we had. Uh, got to be honest, uh, ever since he left, it's, it's a bit different for me as far as, as not having that around me uh, 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 on the days that I pitch makes it a bit different, but uh, it's just a minor adjustment. And, and of course, that's Carl Jelinek, uh, Quebec Capitals ace and pitching coach joining us here on Around the Diamond. And you, you mentioned now that you're the new pitching coach of the Quebec Capitals. And on the coaching side, side of things, I've always wondered what it's like to be a player and a coach at the same time. Of course, the Ottawa champions have Sebastian Boucher as their hitter, hitter and their star center fielder. So going back to you, you're not only the ace of the Capitals staff, but you're a leader on that team as a veteran. And when TJ left to be a manager a few weeks back, was it... Pat coming to you and pretty much saying, hey, Carl, you've been around a long time. Uh, this is what you're going to have to do with the team going forward. We have a chance to win a championship. Or was it just saying, you know, the staff inside and out, the job is yours? Um, it happened pretty quick, to be honest. Um, when all when all this stuff went down and TJ accepted the job and was leaving, uh, Pat uh, quickly contacted me and we went for a, for a coffee and we talked and he pretty much offered the job. He's like, it's for you to, you know, if you're interested, you can you can grab it. The, the one thing that was complicated for me was on the other side of things. I, I, I own a business here in Quebec City, and I, I have it takes a fair amount of time mm-hmm. for me to take care of the business and all that stuff. So I, I had to make sure I was able to be there 100% of the time with the guys because I told Pat, if I'm doing this, I'm doing this the right way, and I'm all in, you know. So I, I, I asked them for a couple of days just to make sure I could – arranged stuff around it and um, I made sure I was able to do it and then I accepted the accepted the challenge and I the way I see it I was already helping TJ out the best I could with the time I had uh, previously uh, I'm really open I was already open with the guys and I was always there to to help if, if they had questions or anything or they wanted to work on stuff and all that stuff I was always there to help so it's not that different what's different is that I'm now there full time rather than I wasn't uh, earlier because of uh, my obligations, mm. um, and the way I presented it to the to the guys this year, you know, their teammates they were teammates, and some of them I've been with for a few years, and I, I see it more as a I'm I'm more of a captain rather than a coach mm-hmm. since I'm still playing. So I just want to be there for the guys. I want to I want them to do the best they they, they can possibly be, and I'm always there from I've been in there. You know, since I got the job, I've been there all the time, and I, it's it's pretty nice to be able to work with them and uh, having a, having time to be there and and change stuff and talk baseball and talk pitching with the with, with the players. And uh, I think so far it's it's been a smooth uh, transition. And if you look at uh, the couple teams in Quebec, the Aglas and and also your team, uh, the Capitals, uh, Matt Rush, the 
He's their yeah. ace of the Aglas. He's also the pitching coach as well. And it's, it goes back yeah. to the same thing with you. I, and my, my main question to you, because this is the first time that I've had a chance to talk uh, with a pitching coach and who's also a pitcher on the team is, I mean, how difficult is it in the in the last couple of weeks knowing that when it's your day to start, a lot of pitchers have, have different routines and different rituals that they got, have to go through. Is it kind of, uh, during the day, if you're pitching, if you're scheduled to start, do you still go out and... and you know, watch the guys throw bullpens and uh, and see what they're doing and kind of talk with them and stuff like that? Or do you kind of just do your own thing when you're scheduled to start that day? Uh, that's that's the one tough part about it right yeah. now, so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only had two starts since. Um, to be honest, the first day uh, 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 the first day that I did start and I, I had to do the double roll, it was kind of a... Uh, a big adjustment because, you know, as soon as I was done with my outing, you know, you don't even have time to, to yeah. sit down and think about what just happened. You have to put on your coaching hat and just, you know, help that out with uh, with uh, what's going on next. So that was, that was a, that was kind of tough to adjust. Second time around was a little easier since I went to a complete game. So that didn't change a whole lot, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, yeah, I, I like being there with the guys anyways. And uh, start days, before I accepted the pitching coach job um, were, the, were the only days where I had time to show up early at the field. So I like, I like being out there on the field early. I like uh, being with the guys and um, it doesn't change anything for me. You know, they, they do their stuff early anyways. So from, from three o'clock to four o'clock, all the pitchers are doing their, their thing. So I, I have time after, after four o'clock to go inside and just relax and think about my game. So it's not, it's not a problem to be out there and help them out with their bullpens and stuff they're working on. So it's mostly uh, in-game, which is different because there's no real feedback with anybody that's that's there to you know between innings to to say hey you know you're falling you're falling towards first base a little bit or this and that yeah. or you know the ball's up or so you really have to pay more attention to yourself uh, you know and, and pay attention to the little details by yourself. Uh, but there's other guys that are experienced there too that have been uh, around and helping out, and I've been asking more questions, and I rely maybe more on on the feedback from my catcher, mm-hmm. you know, more than than I used to. But uh, that's the, the the tough part is on start days to be, you know, uh, focused on your game, and at the same time being able to just you know quickly turn the page and and, and get back to your coaching uh, responsibilities. And that's Carl Jelena, uh, ace and current pitching coach of the Quebec Capitals. You had mentioned earlier about uh, you having to, to come out mid-game. I believe you got taken out in the sixth or seventh inning. I was watching that game, and then you had to come out with your jacket, and I was like, I can't believe this is happening right now. It was something uh, uh, nice to see. Uh, but I want to get a little bit into your uh, to your playing career. You were drafted by the Anaheim Angels in the 47th round in 2002. Uh, that was uh, right after they uh, they had won the World Series. So my question to you is, when you were coming into the Angels system, was it kind of nice to know that you were going to a team that had just won the World Championship? It was nice. Uh, obviously, obviously, uh, it, it, it was. Uh, you could feel it in the system. You know, there was a, 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 a. They were very very proud about it, and um, at the time, the the Angels. Uh, had a very very loaded uh, farm system, and uh, it changed the owners, and uh, they started being like a big market team rather than uh, a small market team like they were a little little a uh, couple years earlier. Uh, so there's like a, a, a big wind of change over in the organization, but uh, it was a winning winning attitude, and uh, it was a very very well ran uh, organization. And of course, you were drafted. You played your first season at the age of 19. Uh, in rookie ball with the Angels and Angels in 2003, did you had go there straight out of high school, or did you take a little bit of time off? Actually, um, with the schooling system here in Quebec, uh, ah. I would have been I would have been drafted at you know at the end of my high school, but we have one less year of high school here, but we have the the, the two years of CJP before we go to a four year school. So I was drafted out of the my first year of CJP, and then. Uh, Back in the day, you know, being a 47th round pick, uh, obviously I didn't sign right away. Um, we had the draft and follows back then, so the the Angels had the rights uh, on me until a week before the next draft. So I went to a junior college in in uh, Oklahoma and played a, a junior college uh, baseball season over there. 
did uh, did quite well and then convinced them to offer me a contract before the next draft. And uh, that's when I reported um, in 2003 for my first year in, uh, in rookie ball. And of course, Carl, you, you mentioned uh, going into the angel system in rookie ball. You had also mentioned earlier that you played it in a system that was jam-packed with lots of prospects. I had looked down the list. I saw the likes of Eric Ibar and some other big uh, major leaguers. I mean, was it kind of nice to, to know that you'd played with all these guys and, and now seen them in the major leagues? Do you still keep in contact with some of the guys that you spent with in the system? And, uh, I mean, who were some of the, the biggest guys, the uh, veterans in the system in AAA that uh, you might have uh, had time to spend around and learn from? Uh, if I kept contact, I kept contact, contact with a few guys, but it's been so long that, uh, you know, you, you keep up with what they're doing, but you, you don't really reach out to them or anything. Um, it was a jam-packed uh, organization. Uh, we we were really stacked up the middle uh, with uh, middle infielders. Uh, we're talking about Ibar, Howie Kendrick, uh, Sean Rodriguez, Alexi Casilla, all big leaguers. Uh, Brandon Wood, who was projected to be a star and just couldn't could not put it together uh, at the major league level, but tore it up in the minors. Um, also, we had pitchers like Irvin Santana. Yeah. Uh, we had pitchers like Weaver. Um, uh, there's other guys like uh, uh, Kevin Jepson, who's still in the big leagues as a as a reliever. A uh, few few good arms. There was a uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Nick Aidenhart is, yeah. is the pretty much the reason why I wear the 34. Who mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. who was a young stud and just unfortunately got uh, into a car accident and lost his life after his first major league win. But um, he he was a very very young and promising player. There's uh, guys like Jose Arredondo who was a converted infielder that went in the big leagues and, and, and had a, a, few, a couple really good seasons as a reliever. So those guys are. are, are you know, as a young player, you can easily pick out guys that stand out. And obviously, uh, these guys had great careers so far. And, 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 you know, you could easily see it when they were younger. And, of course, uh, you mentioned all these big names. And, I mean, it must be kind of nice to, to play with uh, these guys throughout the system. But uh, finally, before we go, my, my final question to you is, once you had spent, you know, in 2006, you had played in AAA uh, you had played in A-ball, you had been across the map in the Anaheim Angels system. I mean, when you transition over to the Quebec Capitals, you were part of uh, five championships with the uh, the Capitals, with, of course, Ottawa champion center fielder Sebastian Boucher. I mean, what was the difference from going over to the minor league system to independent ball? There's a whole lot of difference. Um, in the minors, it's it's pretty much a dog eat dog and it's it's a jungle and everybody wants to be better than the next guy next to him so the team concept of things and uh, it, it, it's kind of fake i'd say you know everybody's very individual about their stuff and they want to do well for themselves because they want to be up there before everybody else right so mm. you, you you worry about more about your stuff you uh you really want to you really want to stand out compared to the other guys and uh, once you get into indie ball, you realize that it's a team thing and it's a, it's a winning attitude and you want everybody to succeed because you want to win. And uh, it brings the fun back into baseball. Uh, you kind of get away from it a little bit in the minors because you worry about so much stuff and uh, it's kind of a stressful environment, although that it's fun, don't, don't get me wrong, but the indie ball, independent baseball is really, really, really a team concept and you root for everybody and you want the best out of everybody because the more you win, the more, you know, the funner it is. And then, then that's when you attract, uh, you know, the scouts and uh, the, the, the media and all that stuff around it. So uh, that's pretty much the reason why I'm still playing is because it's so much fun. Yeah. You know, I, I can play at a high level and, and, and make it a job and now, now, you know, you move up the ladder a little bit, but it's so much fun, and you can compete while you're still having fun, and that's the reason why we play this game. Since we're we're little kids, is it's a game. It's supposed to be fun. So, going going from affiliate baseball to uh, to indie ball was a minor adjustment at first, but it got so much fun so quick that uh, it, it got me hooked, and it, it, I'm still around. 
And you're right about that, Carl. Uh, baseball is one uh, is a game that everybody should have fun with. But uh, uh, that's going to wrap up this interview and this segment on Around the Diamond. Uh, Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, I guess we'll see you pitch. Welcome. Uh, we, I guess, we, yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It was a pleasure uh, to have a, a veteran guy like you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you pitch against the champions uh, uh, in the next coming series, I believe, uh, in Quebec. I owe it. I owe it to them. I'm owing two against them. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on. All right. Thanks very much. Hey, this is Jason Coker from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, home to every single Ottawa Champions game and sponsored by Sambat, the original Maple Back Corporation since 1997. Once again, Dante DiCari joined here, with, or Diamond Dante joined here with Michael Nellis. And, uh, of course, we're going to talk a little about the Can-Am League and the, the All-Star game that had just passed this week. A, a great festivities as the Ottawa champions sent Daniel Cordero along with Austin Crisman and the man of the hour, David Gurley, president <laughs> and co-owner of the Ottawa champions. So, all yeah. in all, a, 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 an excellent experience for the champions as David Gurley actually threw out the final pitch yeah. at the All-Star game in St. Paul. and. And before we get into it, I, I want to say what a beautiful ballpark it is. And folks, if you haven't seen it, this is an independent ballpark in Minnesota. They got outfield stands. They got bullpens. In the, it looks like a, a AAA Major League ballpark if you walk right into it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a AAA ballpark. It's CHS Field in St. Paul, Minnesota. The uh, AAA, or pardon me, the independent league home of the uh, St. Paul Saints. But it easily could be a AAA ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, Do they have the fans? They do have the fans. They average, I believe, 8,500 people a game. So uh, it's uh, it, it's a large fan base in St. Paul. Is that Paul, good enough for AAA? And uh, it, it's more than good enough for AAA. That would, I, I believe, actually, I'll, I'll tell you right now, but I think that would lead AAA baseball in attendance. So um, it's uh, it, it's a very good ballpark. They built it last year. The champions went through there in an interleague series against the American Association right. Saints last year. And uh, this year it hosts the All-Star Game. So this is a interleague All-Star Game. The American Association teams up with the Can-Am League, the two, uh, the two leagues that are uh, commissioned by Miles Wolf play yes. an All-Star Game. The Can-Am League pitched with, uh, or, or they played, I should say, with the Southern Division yes. of, the, uh, of the, the American Association to make up Team South. And then the North Division competed with the Central Division to make up Team North. The final score was 6-1. to one. North beat South. And uh, that was not, however, because of the performance of Ottawa Champions players for Team South. Austin Crispin, Daniel Cordero come out for the second and third innings, respectively, allow no hits. That is the only two innings where Team North didn't get a hit. So it was uh, a very good performance for pitching uh, from the Can-Am League Ottawa Champions All-Stars. And, uh, you know, we've seen from the beginning of this season... Daniel Cordero leads the league in wins. Austin Crispin right up there in ERA, and I believe he's still first among starters no, in ERA. Is, yeah. So it's uh, it, it's a wonderful pitching staff for the champions. Billy Horn, Hal Lanier, they should all be very proud of what they've been able to pull off. And uh, it was on display in St. Paul this weekend. And Austin Crispin and Daniel Cordero were there to do it. Of course, some other pitchers that went there, John Fitzsimmons from the Capitals, yep. Lee Sosa, uh, another one that had went over there, the... Um, I mean, the overall good experience from the Can-Am League. Marcus Nidefer was behind the plate. Art Charles was at first. Uh, Junior Rojo was playing shortstop. Daniel Boteo was at third. Jay Austin was a reserve, I believe, on the bench from the Sussex County Miners. Yeah, it was. And uh, Marcus Nidefer, actually, you should give him a shout-out because he was one home run away from making right. the final of the home run derby the day before the All-Star game. He lost in the semifinal uh, and uh, ended up uh, losing out there. But Marcus Nidefer is one of the home run kings of the Can-Am League, showcasing that in St. Paul. And you're right about that. And overall, uh, at the All-Star break, the Ottawa champions have, uh, you know, they they lost three of four. Of course, we uh, we had talked to TJ Stanton earlier, and, and they took his team, the Aglas, took three of four from the Ottawa champions. And yeah. it seems like they've really had the champions number this season. Well, yeah, and, and I think the champ they started against Ottawa 0-7. And then since then, whatever's happened has worked for the Eglas. They played against the champions with Six Max Poulet right? uh, as the manager 
three wins in a row. Yeah. Uh, and then they get three of four against Ottawa in the last series. I think it's six and eight now yeah. of the Eglas against the champions on the season. So um, six and one in their last seven, though. So that that goes to show you what they've been able to do against Ottawa. As of late, they've got former champion Mike Schwartz, uh, who we uh, heard about uh, when TJ Stanton was uh, chatting, and he was successful against Ottawa in that last series, although it went 0 for 4 in the final game when Austin Crispin shut out the Eglas in a 6 to nothing final score in the last game of the series. Just leave it to Austin Crispin to get the champions off a slump, uh, just right. like Andrew Warner did last year. It's, well, it's amazing the similarities between Crispin and Warner last year. They're inning eaters, and they get teams out of their slump. They lift teams up. The only difference, really, is Warner had... What six, seven major league starts under his nine, belt? nine, nine starts. Yeah, so <laughs> nine major league starts. Crisman, the highest he ever played was high A with the Houston Astros sister system in Lancaster. So, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Crisman gets picked up at the end of the season. I really won't. No, and and I'm kind of surprised he's not gone now. To well, be honest, well, I mean, and, listen, we better be happy of yeah. that because he's really, you know, he's helping our uh, the champions. Him and Cordero have been outstanding. Heel has been good too. He had a couple shaky starts here and there. And Cordero was left with a loss, his second loss of the season, when he only allowed two earned runs. Yeah, the biggest thing for Austin Crispin for me that just tells me that he's going to be picked up and 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 why, uh, like I, I just can't understand, I can't fathom why he's still here, uh, is because he's 23 years old. He's young. Mm-hmm. He's the exact age that teams are looking for when they're looking for players to come out of. Uh, independent leagues into their season. No, he doesn't uh, into their system. He doesn't throw hard, and that's why he can go for a hundred plus pitch outings. Not every night. You don't want to see him throw that much all the time, but uh, he he can definitely go long and 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 eat up innings for the Ottawa Champions, just like Andrew Warner did last time around. And that's one of the beauties of independent baseball that we talked about is you don't really have to baby arms like you do in the minor leagues. There's a lot more pitch counts. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of the time you'll see pitchers come out of games uh, because they don't want to throw over 75 or whatever it is because you're trying to preserve arms. You're trying to keep them uh, in the system. In the independent leagues, you don't have to do that because really, in the end, what are you trying to do? Sure, you're trying to showcase players and move them on, but you're trying to win games, too. Yes. You've got fans That's what I love. and you've got a championship. You're not only in it to develop players. You're in it to win games, and that's why Daniel Cordero is so valuable too, the Ken Am League leader and wins. He just gets the job done, and he does so well in pressure-packed situations. This is what I love about Daniel Cordero, and unfortunately, I don't have a stat in front of me to back this up, but when he has runners on base, when he has runners in scoring position, whatever it is, he gets himself out of jams. He's lights out in those situations, and that's why he's got so many wins this year and leads the Ken Am League in that category. You're right about that, and one thing that I want to mention before we go, I was looking at Chrisman's stats from when he was in the minor leagues just because I was curious to, to see uh, when he was pitching in the All-Star game last night. In low A, last year, a 290 ERA in 13 starts. He got promoted to high A, had a 533 ERA, then got released, and now comes over here and shows that he's a 290 ERA guy like you know, he was in low A. It, it, I, it really, they didn't give him a chance. That's that's what it, that's what it came down to. It seems like. Yeah, you know, and and that's what happens is organizations don't give their guys chances. That's the big problem. And the the best the best thing about that is that there's 29 other organizations out there to give a guy a shot. Well, they didn't. And now he's here, and we're lucky to have him. Yeah, but they they have the chance to mm-hmm. to give him a shot again, and and who knows, maybe the Astros do it, right? Um, so we'll see, we'll well, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But I, I don't expect to see Austin Chrisman here for much longer. And uh, you mentioned the Astros; they drafted him twice, so maybe they do like him. <laughs> and they can uh, take a third flyer on no, by third, signing him third, again. Third time's a charm, isn't that yeah. what they say? There you go. <laughs> All right, so that's gonna wrap up the uh, August sixth edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ one zero seven nine. We thank you so much for tuning in. Of course. Uh, if you're listening on my SoundCloud, you know where to find me. If you uh, haven't checked out any past episodes or want to check out some of the other interviews and calls from myself and uh, the likes of Michael Nellis and Corey Mess, you can check out my SoundCloud, Diamond underscore Dante Audio. Follow myself on Twitter, Diamond.Dante and uh, 96 Nellis. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079.